Welcome to Your Eyes Me Up, a podcast about Asian Europeans from all walks of life. I'm your host, Ching, a German-born Chinese. Today with me is Shirley Lee, a self-taught contemporary classical music composer from London with Chinese and Vietnamese heritage. She began composing when she was 15, and her music has been played around a million times across more than 100 countries around the world, including on radio stations such as BBC. She has produced three albums with around 30 pieces, and is currently working on her fourth, which will be released later this year. Shirley, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Shink. It's a pleasure to be here, for sure. Thank you for taking the time. So Shirley, you're the first Asian European classical music composer I've ever met. How did you get started in music? So I started because one of my nursery teachers saw that I was glued to the piano whilst the other kids were playing outside. And I I was just playing simple tunes like Twinkle Little Star and she just recognized that and that's why she told my mom to get me a piano. Otherwise, I wouldn't have started it. Neither of my parents are musical. Oh, that's so cute and so attentive of your nursery teacher. Agreed, yeah. And what then inspired you to start composing at the age of 15? So when I was 15, I watched quite a number of films. So films like Amelie and The Pianist. And across all of those films, they had such beautiful themes. So Amelie, for example, the music was composed by Jan Tissen. Immediately when you listen to the music, it transports you right to the streets of Paris and such a beautiful feeling. And The Pianist, that film was particularly emotional because it was set in World War II and The Pianist performed the ballad in G minor by Chopin, which saved his life from a Nazi officer. But when he played, it was just Wow, so emotional, such a life-death situation. And I just thought that music can just bring out such strong, heartfelt emotions. And that's why I just wanted to create it. But then how did you go from like watching these movies and listening to these beautiful pieces to composing your own music? How did you teach yourself how to compose? Yeah, so it's a lot about just sitting at the piano, doodling some melodies, sometimes even sing in the shower or, you know, whatever I sing, I'll record it on voice notes and then I'll piece it all together. So with listening to so many different compositions, especially classical, so you get like these set forms, like, you know, rondo, for example, is like A-B-A-B. And so like I just build up my knowledge in forms, melodies, harmonies, and yeah, just taught myself through listening and mainly doodling on the piano. When I doodle, I would um, think back to my experiences. So for example, this piece, Coral Soul, when I composed, I would close my eyes and envisage the moment when I was diving in the Red Sea in Egypt and just seeing, you know, the most beautiful, colourful coral and the mesmerising movement. So, so yeah. Wow. It's like writing a diary. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting, being able to translate your emotions into music. And how did you then go from your first composition to the reach you have now? So my first compositions were from my album called Impetus. So pieces like Dawn in Berlin, Swallow Silhouette, Sweet Reverie. And yeah, they were just inspired by my travels in Berlin, nature, you know, seeing swallows fly in the sky and, you know, to their nests 
and Sweet Reverie is inspired by Heartbreak. And I just wanted to release them, you know, record really good versions of the recording. So I worked with very professional musicians and yeah, just released them on SoundCloud and the reception that I got was great. So I've got lots of compliments from other composers, other creators, other listeners, and their feedback showed that they really enjoyed listening to us and it was all very emotional and, and, and that sort of encouraged me to create more pieces. And how did you find those music professionals that helped you record your songs in a very professional quality? And after you like released these songs, like did you actively advertise them or like did people just naturally flock to the music and your audience grew over time? I found those music professionals online. So they would be teaching like violin or cello. So I'd look at their profile and be like, wow, they've studied at Royal Academy of Music or, you know, the best music scores. And so I know that they're very good and, and that's how I found them. In terms of promoting my music, it's a mixture of me targeting people and also them sort of finding my music. So with a lot of the streaming platforms like Spotify and SoundCloud, they have algorithms where if like a listener enjoys listening to a classical piece of music, then they'll send them related tracks. So a lot of my listeners actually stem from those who listen to classical music widely. Also in radio stations as well. So Spotify, SoundCloud, they have their own radio stations. Recently got played on the BBC, introducing, which is very nice. For me, that was a great moment because it shows that my music is of a radio quality standard because as a creator, it's very difficult to, to know. I, I can't go asking around because I just don't have the contacts at these big radio stations. So it was good, comforting to know. How did the BBC find you? Did they just reach out to you randomly or did they also discover you through related artists? And how did it feel to hear your own music on the BBC? So they played Coral Soul, which is the piece that I composed about coral reefs in the Red Sea and also in places like Barbados, which I dived in. And yeah, it just felt... I felt really ecstatic hearing it being played. In terms of how they found me, I actually approached them. So BBC has this music uploader that anyone could upload their tracks on. But the criteria for a playing is pretty difficult. And they won't tell you if they don't like your music. So they only tell you if they've played it. Interesting. I didn't know that. And Shirley, what do you want people to feel or take away when they listen to your music? I want them to also be able to imagine the experience that I went through when writing the piece. So Paradise, which is the recent album that I released, is about the oceans, you know, the marine ecosystems and its species. And I want people to just be able to capture those moments and just realize how important the ocean is. So I wrote these pieces called Lament of the Ocean, which expresses my sorrow for what's happening to the ocean, like climate change and world issues like that. And I just want people to be able to be like, oh, yes, definitely something needs to be done. Just connect and yeah, relate. 
Shirley, you just mentioned that your recently released album, Paradise, was inspired by the ocean. What are the themes and inspirations behind your other albums, Blossom and Impetus? So a lot of the themes are nature. So with Blossom, I tried to bring out the beauty of cherry blossoms and plum blossoms blooming. I really try to just capture those moments because cherry blossom and plum blossoms are so fragile. They only come out in in the spring for a short period of time. So I wanted to, to capture that. I also try to reflect on my experiences in travel. So I was in Amsterdam. I really loved walking through the canals, seeing the beautiful lights and beautiful architecture. And yeah, I just had to compose a piece about Amsterdam. Also family, like falling leaves, easterly winds, which was a piece that I composed because I really missed my grandfather. He used to teach me Chinese calligraphy, Chinese poetry and photography. And yeah, that was a piece dedicated to him. And just in general, the seasons, I composed a lot of pieces such as Amber Leaves, which tries to encapsulate the beauty of autumn. Shirley, you just mentioned that Easterly Winds was inspired by your Chinese grandfather. That actually made me wonder, how do you relate to your different cultures and how have they influenced your music? So being a British, Chinese and Vietnamese, I definitely feel I have this cultural identity that's dissimilar from, say, just someone you know, being born in London and who's not Chinese and Vietnamese. So my parents, when I was growing up, they taught me a lot of calligraphy, Chinese painting, Chinese cooking. Unfortunately, my dad, who's Vietnamese, he didn't really bring out my Vietnamese side. So I wasn't able to learn Vietnamese. But definitely on the Chinese side, I was very much exposed to the whole culture. So I watched a lot of TV in Chinese, a lot of films, and also listened to a lot of music. So my grandparents used to sing these melodies that they used to sing back in China when they were like working in the fields and things like that. So I drew a lot of inspiration through listening to those melodies, which hopefully you could hear in my pieces such as Easterly Winds and also Joys of Spring. You could hopefully hear the more eastern sounding melodies as well as falling leaves as well. So yeah, it definitely forms a huge part of my identity being ethnically Chinese and Vietnamese. Recently I went to Vietnam and I discovered a lot more about the history and I believed that my dad's mother is part of the refugee movement, I think the boat refugees that left the Vietnam War. So so discovering that is very emotional for me and I'm working on an album that hopes to encapsulate that emotion that I got when travelling through Vietnam. And how did you feel traveling through Vietnam? Did you perceive yourself as Vietnamese or did other people see you as Vietnamese? And what was it like interacting with the people there? So it was a solo trip for me. Unfortunately, I don't have any more family members in Vietnam. Definitely when I went there, it was clear that people didn't perceive me as Vietnamese. I actually got spoken to a lot in English. I got called like Korean or Japanese or or Chinese, but they just didn't see me as Vietnamese and it's likely because I don't speak the language and I don't understand it but they're such friendly people over there so it felt so welcome even though I didn't speak the language. That's nice. 
Shirley, you mentioned previously that you've been more influenced by the Chinese side of your family because your dad didn't bring out the Vietnamese side of you. Do you speak Mandarin fluently? And how often do you visit China? Do you still have relatives there? So I speak Mandarin and Cantonese fluently. I mainly use Cantonese at home because my parents are from Guangzhou. And yeah, we just watch a lot of Hong Kong TV. And I don't have that many family members in China anymore. My immediate grandparents lived in London. And in terms of the frequency of visiting China, it's not very frequent. I travel there mainly for leisure rather than like seeing family. We say once every few years. I'm going again next year and I really hope to be inspired by particularly the more rural parts of China. Because my grandfather, he did a lot of Chinese paintings featuring really beautiful scenery of like the limestone mountains, you know, the lakes. And I really want that to inspire my music. I've contacted a few orchestras to get some quotes and I'm hoping to compose a piece of music inspired by the Chinese rural scenery. <laughs> Shirley, you've mentioned your grandpa a couple of times now, and he sounds like a very creative, but also very educated person, which is not very common for his generation of diaspora here in Europe. What is his story out of curiosity? So he studied in China pre the communist regime. He studied fine arts at a Chinese university. He really excelled in the fine arts. And during the communist period, he became a news reporter where he went to South Korea to capture the news and write about the news, about the wars that were going on. And then when he came to London, he did lots and lots of exhibitions. So one of his paintings, he painted Princess Diana. And that was actually, at that time, picked up by the then Prince Charles who sent a letter saying that he absolutely loved the painting and he wishes to purchase it. So he was very, very, very talented in the arts. I see him as a huge inspiration of mine. And did your grandpa's creative background also influence your parents in the pursuit of their careers? So my parents have a restaurant. My dad is an amazing chef. Super creative as well. Um, he, he does like those carrot carvings, which I find mind blowing. And my mum, she just loves to write on the side. She writes lots and lots when she's not working about her reflections on life. So definitely he has influenced my parents and my brother as well. He's, he's not only a software engineer, but an Instagram famous baker. So <laughs> super creative he is. So was it then a conscious choice to open a restaurant? Because from experience, like I know that a lot of Chinese or Asian families, they start restaurants out of necessity because their qualifications are not recognized or they don't have a university education. Did your parents choose to open a restaurant? So I think it was a mixture of necessity and just my dad being skillful because he left School, I believe, when he was in his teenage years and then from then on worked in the kitchen. So he's very, very skillful in Chinese cooking. And my mum, she did study Japanese. But yeah, it's just a mutual decision to open a restaurant. 
I see. What did your grandma actually do? Like your Chinese grandma? She mostly stayed at home, just thinking about all the years that I've known her. So she looked after us mostly. That sounds very familiar. How did your family actually end up in London and what was it like for you to grow up there? So my dad's mum came from Vietnam and I believe she moved as part of the boat refugee movement. My mum came from Guangzhou in China and they both met in London Chinatown working in the Chinese restaurants. I believe it was uh, Royal Dragon. So just stay still around and I still go there for food. It's great. And then in terms of the heritage and growing up in, in London as a Chinese, British Chinese Vietnamese, I felt very comfortable. And, and that's because London really is such a diverse city. You know, I went to a state school or what they call a comprehensive school where there's no academic barriers to getting in that school. So I was studying with people from all sort of different grades and it was such a cultural mix as well. I would say about more than 80% of my school were ethnically like not white, if that makes sense. So yeah, I just felt very comfortable growing up. I already thought that your experience growing up in a city like London would probably be very different from people's experience growing up in smaller and less diverse cities. But then did you ever find yourself questioning your cultural identity growing up since you grew up in such an international environment that is so much more accepting of all kinds of different cultures? I just really embraced being a Londoner. So I really am open to all sort of cultures. So as a Londoner, for example, I really enjoy going to Notting Hill Carnival. And I don't know whether you've heard of it. It's the second biggest carnival in the world and celebrates like African Caribbean culture. But I love going to that as a Londoner because for me, it's also a huge representation of London. I've really embraced that. Like I do Latin dancing. I love Latin music as well. Me too. Um, yeah, it's great. Reggaeton, bachata, salsa, I love all of that. And I only discovered, you know, these sort of cultures through living in London and being surrounded by friends who are into that as well. So yeah, I'm, I really am proud to be a Londoner. I've sort of defined myself more as a Londoner. Interesting. And um, Shirley, how did your parents actually respond to your music? So my parents, I believe, love my music. They came to my concerts recently in St. Alphys Church in Greenwich. And I think my mom became quite emotional. My dad is always quite straight-faced, but still he, he came to support me. It's difficult because when I was growing up and when my mom first got the piano for me, we were not in a good sort of financial situation. So there was a lot of pushback on getting piano. So yeah, I think right now they're, they're very proud that I decided to create music on the side. Are there any pieces that have been influenced or shaped by your parents? Yes, definitely. Falling Leaves. And the reason why it's called Falling Leaves is because it's from the saying, falling leaves, no matter where they fall, would always return to the roots. So falling leaves would always return to their roots. Sorry, that's the entire saying and it's just like no matter how far you travel stray away to I would always want to come home to my family so that's the meaning and hope you could sense my love for family in that piece. Yeah Falling Leaves is actually one of the first pieces of yours that I listened to 
And I immediately like fell in love with it. I think it is uh, still one of my favorite pieces. Oh, thank you so much. means a lot. <laughs> yeah, but it's even more interesting now that I know the story or the meaning behind it. Shirley, like I mentioned earlier, you're the only Asian European composer that I know. And I think you're also one of the only female composers that I know. Have you encountered any unique challenges or opportunities because of it? I feel like I definitely come across challenges. There have been a number of venues who I have contacted to perform. However, their reasons, you know, they say that playing one owns compositions not quite suitable as part of the concert requirements or they don't feel my music is contemporary classical or in line with what's been previously played, like Beethoven, you know, Mozart, those large Western composers. So definitely there have been challenges and I'm not sure whether it's because I'm female or, or Asian, but I feel like it's definitely because I'm not as well known as those big names. So they just don't want it to be performed, basically. I feel like classical music needs to be more open and for more female classical composers' music to, to be shared because currently it is still very much dominated by the Western composers who have passed away. So, you know, you see there's big concerts like BBC Proms. A lot of the music played is Western classical composers, but I feel like there needs to be more opportunities, and particularly for women and those from ethnic minority backgrounds, just because there's just not that many of us out there. And it's very important for our stories and experiences to be heard. I think so too. Shirley, what are your general thoughts on diversity in the classical music space? And how do you think people and organizations can support talents like you in turning it into a full-time career? I think it's fair to say that there aren't many Asian composers in the Western society. Just from what I've seen, I don't really see any um, Asian pop stars in in Western society or Asian hip-hop stars. They tend to be more like in in Asia themselves so, and where the music's very different. So definitely I feel there needs to be a bigger push in promoting Asian composed music. Because, as I've said, they bring, you know, different experiences, different stories that needs to be shared. Otherwise, you'll just, you know, have a very one-sided view. But also, I feel maybe the case that Asian parents, they want their children to not go into the music industry because it's less stable. So that's why there aren't so many artists out there. You know, making a living out of music is very difficult from what I understand. The streams, each stream pays like not not, not one pounds. It's, you know, 20,000 streams that on Spotify equates about 49 pounds. So it's just not very much money. And, and that's why maybe there aren't that many Asian music professionals in that industry. So, yeah, I feel that there needs to be a bigger push. But at the same time, I recognize the, the difficulties. So would you say that the financial constraint is the biggest challenge? I think it is quite a huge part. But also just, I think with music, you really have to make yourself heard and stuff. So not be shy. So maybe that's, you know, it's just people feel more confident to come forward to produce that music. 
rather than be like, oh, um, it's okay. I'll shy away from it because I don't want to expose myself. Because you're sharing quite a huge part of yourself when you're releasing music. I see what you mean. Yeah, I think it's similar in other creative areas as well, right? That you really need to have the confidence to share your work and to go out there, reach out to people and to really stand behind what you're doing. Do you think that if there was uh, some program that offered like financial support for like artists, would you then like consider turning music into a full-time profession? So there are um, already quite a lot of those programs out there, but in terms of accessing them, it's difficult because They often have requirements, like, you know, you're a student or you earn less than this amount. Because I work a full-time job as well, I often don't meet those requirements. So at the moment, I don't see myself, you know, leaving management consulting yet to pursue full-time music. I also really like the balance because I have a clear separation between work and music. Whereas if, say, I did music full-time, I would treat music like work, and I, I don't want to be that way. Charlie, did you actually ever, like, struggle with your career choices? Because it sounds like it was pretty clear to you that you were going to do, like, music on the side. But then when it came to choosing your main profession, I mean, the one that you're doing full-time, Did you struggle to choose one or was it just like, okay, I'm just going to take one or like do like management consulting, for example, because it's like broad, because you have music as a passion on the side anyways? Definitely, I struggled. I went into university studying law and that was because I was advised to do that by a family member. And I, I did want to, you know, become a lawyer at some point, but but then studied tax law and realized how much I enjoyed tax. And, and so I'm now, you know, doing tax consulting for asset managers. And I do find that work challenging and, and very varied, but it's like, it brings out a different enjoyment for me. And then, yeah, I'm also doing a master's degree in computer science because I felt like, oh, um, just in case I want to change my career into something that is more fast paced. But yeah, I definitely did struggle in terms of finding my careers. But so long as I had music on the side, I, I think I, I would be happy. And what have you got planned next when it comes to your music? So the next step. In terms of my music, is definitely using more instruments, particularly electronic musical instruments online. And the reason being is because I just see how popular electronic music is amongst people. It's like some more popular than pop music these days. And I really want people to appreciate classical music more. So if I make classical music in a way that's more accessible to them, so, you know, combining those electronic music elements like having a techno beat in it so that they could dance to and drink to, you know, that really make them perhaps appreciate classical music a lot more because classical music at the moment is still not heavily attended by young people. And I feel that that needs to change in order for it to survive another like generation. I see And Shirley, what advice would you give to someone who also wants to compose classical music? So I would advise to just be yourself and to be true to who you are rather than thinking about what the music industry wants. I think it's very important to just compose music because you want to reflect on your own experiences 
and you want to encapsulate your memories rather than just composing music because I want to be different and just show the world that I could perhaps experiment on this phrase so yeah just be yourself basically and no need to rush with anything Um, a composition could take you know weeks it could take months could take years and also don't be a perfectionist so if you've got the music pretty much done substance matters just upload it I would say I think that matters more in the event that you want a better recording of it you could do that in the future and what advice would you give your younger self I would say that technology is very important and it's important to just be really on top of technology if possible. Like the music technology, I could see how important it is to making like a tip-top recording and I just wish I spent more time when I was younger learning it because at the moment I you know, rely on studio professionals to help with all of that. But if I had that knowledge, I feel like I would have become a much better musician. Yeah, keeping up with technologies seems to be a task in and of itself these days. But yeah, Shirley, thank you so much for sharing and for taking part in the podcast. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. Thank you, Shirley. I will link your socials in the description as per usual. And if you're a listener and you enjoyed listening to this episode, please leave a review on whatever platform you're on, as that would be very helpful. In this episode, we're going to play Shirley's piece, Falling Leaves, the one that has been inspired by her family. Enjoy! Enjoy!